Hello, this is The Love of Wisdom, and my name is Anthony Pensa, and today we're going over another podcast on the topic of existentialism. And we're going to use and we're going to talk about a famous philosopher by the name of Jean-Paul Sartre. In his book, he has written The Being and Nothingness, and I will begin to describe to you his philosophy and his ideas in a concise manner. Hopefully, it'll be used. Now, my podcast, The Love of Wisdom, is used to help people understand various aspects of their life to help them flourish. Thus, the level of wisdom, the practical knowledge I think people would need in life to succeed. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree, a little bit of background of me, again, if you're not familiar. My name is Anthony Pensa, like I just said earlier. I have a bachelor's degree in philosophy from California State University, Chico. And I had specialized and taught a lecture on Immanuel Kant's deontology. During one of the lectures, I was a tutor for an introductory course on logic and critical thinking. And I love philosophy, and I plan on continuing doing more podcasts in the future and thriving and helping people all around the world understand philosophy and the meaning it has in people's lives and understanding problems that they may have and how to develop critical thinking and develop a better life. So we begin the podcast. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre is a French philosopher and he was born during a time period that many people find very controversial. Now, what I consider is interesting about him in particular is that he has this interesting notion of being in nothingness. Now his book was written in 1953 from selected volumes of what's known as the existential psychoanalysis. And one particular author, Hazel E. Burns from the University of Colorado describes it in his book, a newer edition, on what it is exactly that he has. Now in the book, Jean-Paul Sartre talks about various aspects of being. In the beginning he talks about the pursuit of being, he talks about nothingness, <clears throat> and I'll get into that in detail. Being for itself, being for others, as well as having, doing, and being. Now, for this podcast, I'll only be covering the first few sections. I have to break this podcast in two sections or so because the information is very in-depth and it has to be explained in detail. So I'll probably be breaking this podcast in two or three or possibly four podcasts, uh, depending on the length of time it requires for me to explain it in a simplistic manner. So to begin, he develops this notion of, like I mentioned, being and nothingness. And he mentions, he says that there's a negation when observed that leads back into nothingness. It's his origin and foundation. What does this mean? The idea of having nothing, right, being nothing, comes down to what's known as a negation. A negative idea or concept that's spread about from an origin foundation of life. So he begins to talk about well, what is this nothingness? Well, he says that nothingness must be conceived at the heart of being. Being is what creates nothingness. And humans are able to apprehend certain types of realities, which he mentions are called negatites in French, to describe these various aspects of what nothingness may be. Now, he often conceives of nothingness as outside of being, outside of existence and the physical reality. <coughs> he mentions about contemplation, abstract notions, infant milieu when being is suspended. And he goes on to talk about an exceptional being in an infinite regress. For example, he must est este, is, been, translation from French. And he begins to present an interesting concept. He says that man prevents himself as a being who causes nothingness to arise in the world. Man is affected both non-being to this end. So as human beings, we are affected with an, the idea of what he calls non-being, uh, an existence that does not exist because that 
nothingness, right? That, that that concept of nothingness doesn't exist in the world. So because of that, we as human beings are affected by this. And he mentions the term negatitas, which I mentioned earlier, which are considered as transcendent realities. And he gives an example of distance. So if you imagine traveling somewhere and measuring a distance from point A to point B, say for example with a car or a bicycle, we can see that that's a form of our own reality that we see. So a transcendent distance, a reality, excuse me, is a reference to that particular frame of reference. So he has multiple examples on that, but I'd like to begin to describe some of the concepts he says. So he says, he mentions about the idea of a posteriori, which means after experience, and he uses René Descartes, a French philosopher, to talk about this. René Descartes is another philosopher. I'll be talking about him more on another podcast in the future. But he talks a lot about what it is that establishes human being. Now, what it is that makes humans humans? There's a famous quote that many people know in and outside of philosophy, which René Descartes phrased, and it's, I think, therefore I am. I am a thinking being, no more, no less. And he says this in the French, and it's translated into English now, and this became a famous phrase that many philosophers, including myself, know. But what's interesting to consider is that in this particular book, Sartre mentions about the a posteriori relations of man that come about by empirical activity. Now, exactly what does empirical mean? Empirical activity, when you say that. Well, empiricism, right? Similar to the idea of you doing something, you thinking of something, you understanding something in the real world, that's considered a form of empiricism. Like you going to the store, for example, buying yourself a beer, or if you're a young kid, you know, buying some lollipop or candy, whatever it is that you like, chips, I prefer chips, and going and using the, you know, your money and, and performing that act of purchasing those chips, that candy or that beer, and actually receiving that item, that's a, it's an empirical activity, a concept. It's more complex, but essentially, in a, in a nutshell, it's that. He mentions that negates appears as central conditions of instrumentality, right? a usage of an instrument to which he says that man is the being which generates nothingness and the engine that makes only being the process of generation to which only being will come out of it. Now what does that mean? It's essentially that nothingness and being constitutes a generation. So he talks about, which I agree in the notion of freedom, he says freedom for the annihilation of nothingness is not a property of its own or of the human being. So he talks about the ideas of psychological determinism and universal determinism. What does that mean? What is determinism? Determinism is a philosophy that talks about how you go from point A to point B, you determine your whereabouts. It's a, it's a philosophical notion, so psychological, psyche, universal, universalization, right? He even says, he gives an example, he says, Plato involved in association with continuity in the Phaedo. Phaedo being one of the books, you can read it from Plato's complete works. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good, interesting read. I don't have time to talk about it in this podcast, but I highly recommend that you guys listen to that if you do have time. And he says about an empty intuition. Intention, excuse me, is a consciousness of negation which transcends itself toward an object which it posits as absent or non-existent. Now, to give you a definition of what he describes is psychological determinism earlier, it states that there are within humans antagonistic forces whose type of existence is comparable to that of things to fill the void which encircles us. And he mentions that, and he also mentions the concept of non-reflective consciousness, right? 
and what that whole idea of reflective consciousness or the idea of reflection is that you see something and you reflect, you think about it, you acknowledge it, and you contemplate that thing in detail in through your conscious being. And you use that idea of, he says, the consciousness, non-reflective consciousness being the consciousness of man in action. Consciousness of something being the transcendent disclosure of itself to a consciousness of a particular nature. So we basically act through our consciousness. We use our actions. They reflect our consciousness and our reality. We use that, that idea of transcendence, right, through that consciousness to overcome some particular nature that we have as human beings. And we have what he says is a structure of exigency in the world. Structure of exigency. The world correlatively discloses its complex relations of instrumentality. And he goes on to talk about um, how particularly human freedom, he says English is not proof of human freedom. And he also he compares people as conscious of their vices in life similar to the gambler. He uses an example of a gambler and he talks about, he says that just like how a gambler goes to a casino and a gambler sees the casino and they, they know that what they're doing is what they prefer but it's wrong in their mind. They gamble, they spend their money at the casino but they go back to that casino thinking that they would win money because they're hooked in with their, their vices in life. Their vice is gambling, right? Just like other people. Many people have various vices in life. We just don't acknowledge them. We don't like to assume that these are our vices. Some people it's alcohol. Other people it's, you know, other forms of drugs similar to alcohol or various different. Some people it's exercise, etc. All, not necessarily exercise, excuse me, that's the wrong example. A negative aspect that they think is wrong. For example, their personality traits, negative forms of that, or their behavior with other people. And they go on to develop this, and they begin to see that just like the gambler, our motives are ineffective, and the conditional freedom which we have, we experience, similar to the gambler in the casino who goes and gambles his money away, and loses it all, or gains it, or wins a portion of that in the process. Now, it's interesting how he mentions that, because he also says that consciousness is not subjected to nature, transcendence, and eminence, because consciousness posits eminence. Now, the reason why I bring that up is he says that consciousness itself is an entity. It exists in the world. It exists because it exists, but it exists because it doesn't exist. So it's being and non-being. It's like, a, it's, it's like a, a circular form of you know, deduction, but it is logically sound, and it makes sense in the real world. But what I wanted to really talk about is what he means by this concept of consciousness and how it's transformed in the world we live. So he uses the idea of temporality, right? And to really explain this idea, it's easy to consider this. Say, for example, really simple, um, you know, something that exists that's temporal, something that doesn't last long. For example, um, we could say something that doesn't exist long is like the idea of heat, right? When you heat something up, it boils and the heat rises. Now that state of temporality with the boiling itself only lasts for so long. As soon as an object is boiling and stops boiling, that heat is released immediately. So that there's a temporal state between the water state with the heat and the actual heat itself. I mean, other people talk about other really simple examples, time, right? Time is temporal in that sense because we're, our lives are finite and we live in a finite universe so our time is temporal and how we relate to understanding issues and ideas 
So use that form of temporality to exist within our frame of reference in our lives. So he mentions about consciousness and he mentions about temporality and a prejudicative comprehension of a human being's essence separated by nothingness. And then he talks about anguish and goes on to describe various perpetual modes of detachment from which so much it exists as so. And he talks about this idea which I want to talk about called bad faith. Now bad faith isn't like isn't like the faith that people think about. Christians, uh, religious people, right? Uh, even some atheists don't even understand this concept, especially because a lot of atheists and other people don't really read into what it is that this concept means. Um, I looked this video up on YouTube and I started doing research and I started reading on my own and learning about this concept and I find it really interesting to apply to the real world because I feel people really lack this, you know, lack the idea of what this describes and the word for black faith, bad faith, not black faith, excuse me, is mavese um, foi, which is the annihilating power that annihilates anguish insofar as humans flee from it, annihilating itself insofar as humans are in anguish in order to flee it. So it's essentially a negative power that destroys things, annihilation, right? Like, like annihilation, but annihilation with an, not, with an N, not an A. So it talks about that, and he says that consciousness directs its negation towards itself rather than outward. Bad faith is to lie to self, given that we distinguish living into self from lying in general. Then he goes on to talk about the idea of mitsign, a being with others in the world, and that bad faith is a substantiary to that. He goes on to talk about um, Sigmund Freud's psychology of the id and the ego. Now I've read a lot on Sigmund Freud and a lot of his concepts and ideas I don't necessarily believe. A lot of what he taught actually and even the field of psychology isn't really regarded as accurate because a lot of these concepts we use today still like the id, the ego, our ego as human beings, they are accurate but a lot of these ideas aren't necessarily 100% true. Now why do I say that? Well he mentions, he says in this, he says that Sartre discusses Sigmund Freud's psychology by when he talks about the ego and not the id. I hold no privilege to the relation of the unconscious psyche. We don't have really, we have no privilege, we have no ability within our mind to really say, right? We're not privileged, we're not given the ability to really understand from birth a higher order to see what it is that the mind thinks. We all have different lives and different beings and we all thrive and we do what we want in this world. We don't necessarily consider what it is that exists in someone's mind. We can see their mind and we can hear what they think, but we don't know their thoughts because only they themselves can think, right? We're all ra we all have the ability to reason, we all have the ability to think. Many people lack this ability on a daily basis to consider this. So Sartre talks about the role of a psychoanalysis, someone who studies a psychological mind similar to a psychologist analyzes the psyche of individuals and he talks about someone who appears as the mediator between individuals unconscious uh, dreams and uh, conscious life and uh, excuse me about this I'm a little tired sorry Sartre he mentions that a psychoanalysis named Alan Kalah or Allah I'm probably butchering the name talks about to know is to know that one knows right I know that I know because I know that I know. Easiest way to say that means you know something because you know that you know that you know something. Right? If you didn't know that you knew something, 
and that that thing you knew is what you know, then you wouldn't know that thing. People claim to know things, but they don't really know the essence of that thing that they're claiming to know. Meaning, for example, like if I look at, I don't know, like for example, a blade of grass, right? Sitting down on my porch, recording this, and all of a sudden there's, a, there's blades of grass all across me. I see blades of grass, I see their color, I see their shape, I see, you know, smell, their color green, but I don't know everything there is to know about that blade of grass, right? It would take me a whole lifetime to know everything about that blade of grass, to study the cellular structure, to study the, all the components of the blade of grass, understand the biology of that grass, understand where it came from, the type of grass, etc. It's very complex. One single blade of grass has become far more complex than I can ever imagine studying it and looking at it and then seeing that variation in grass and how that grass interacts with other objects that creates even more complexity but in life we tend to just ignore so many things and we just live our lives not really considering a single blade of grass as relevant when in reality it's just as relevant as everything else around us we just don't take notice of that right i live in in a, in a nice city and all around me i see trees i see beautiful places i see green everywhere but many people don't really consider the beauty and the, you know, this grand scope of nature that exists before us because we're so caught up in the world around us. We can't even see the forest for the trees. All we see is just the forest in that sense. So I'd like to talk about the idea he mentions about um, various um, poets in his writing, but I'd like to continue to talk about the idea of, um, to end this portion of the podcast, with the claim that he says that um, <clears throat> being in existence, right, exists because we as human beings view our reality in a unique way. What does he mean by that? He says, and I'd like to end it with a quote, he says, human reality is its own surpassing toward what it lacks. It surpasses itself toward the particular being what it would be if it were what it is. Human reality is not something which exists first in order afterwards to lack this or that. It exists first as lack and an immediate synthetic connection with what it lacks. Thus the immediate synthetic connection with what it lacks. Oh, excuse me. Thus the pure event by which human reality rises as a presence in the world is apprehended by itself as its own lack. In its coming into existence, human reality grasps itself as an incomplete being. It apprehends itself as being insofar it is not. In the presence of the particular totality which it lacks, and which it is in the form of not being it, and which is what it is, human reality is a perpetual surpassing toward a coincidence with itself which is never given. Now, I want to finish by um, clarifying some concepts of what he says by this, but more particularly this last idea. Now, I grew up in a religious background, personally, and... I suffered a lot through understanding my identity and my belief system because I was raised in a Christian household and I know there's many millions of Americans or I'd say hundreds of thousands of Americans who have experienced similar things that I have whether they be Christian, Catholic, Muslim, etc. and then soon became atheists through understanding their life but it was a struggle and it was a battle since I grew up as a child and this last quote for me I think is really relevant to these people including myself and I'd like to end by, by mentioning this quote and explaining a little bit. It says this, Imperfect being surpasses itself toward perfect being. 
The being which is the foundation only of its nothingness surpasses itself toward the being which is the foundation of its being. But the being toward which human reality surpasses itself is not a transcendent God. It is at the heart of human reality. It is only human reality itself, its totality. Therefore, I like to go on and describe and speak about that notion of that. You know, we as human beings, we think, growing up in a religious background, like people like me, that God was everything in life. And then we begin to understand that God is just an idea. And I'm, I'm sorry if I offend people by saying this, there's religious viewers about this, but essentially, God is essentially an idea. And we have to prove Him and His existence. Now, whether you believe that the Bible is the most accurate book or not, whatever your beliefs are, you have to justify your beliefs in believing what it is that you have, right? Faith, the Bible says. But the problem with that is, how do you know that you really believe in something if what you experience doesn't at all involve that being or that essence, right? If it is that the whole reality of all reality itself is human reality. If all our reality is human reality, then nothing else is more important than the now, than the present, than the life to come. If we suffer and we live in terrible lives and there is no supernatural being, a supernatural essence that is beyond this world, we're just wasting our times. So the way I see it, based on what I know, or even based on this passage, is that the whole notion of, of reality beyond reality is difficult to prove and difficult to understand. But the human reality and totality of which we see on a daily basis, the majority of what I experience does not revolve around God. It revolves around pain and suffering. It revolves around human morality. It revolves around evil in this world. It revolves around everything but what the Bible preaches. So I like to end, and I, like, I just hopefully people who are listening really think and understand this concept. And um, I'd like to continue again. Thank you. And a further section of Paul, Jean-Paul Sartre's Being in Nothingness. And I will be making a few more, like as I mentioned, about this podcast. My name is Anthony Pensa, and thank you for listening to The Love of Wisdom.